0: Thing you gotta understand about emotions is you feel it, then you fix it. You cannot fix it while you're feeling it, does not happen. So at work, how do we train people to be okay with letting somebody have that space, to recalibrate, to take a moment, letting them have that and not feeling like I have to fix it right now, you have to stop it right this second. No, let's let them move and do what they need to do to feel it. And when they're ready to come back, we're back. And then we move forward as a group and as a team and as an organization.
1: Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, president of Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. And this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast, You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at GoodMorningHR.com. Joining me today to discuss the impact of emotional intelligence on organizations is my friend, Dr. Stevie Don Carter. Stevie is a business leader, trainer, and coach. She is also the CEO of Empathics, a training and coaching firm whose mission is to reshape corporate cultures by instilling emotional intelligence into the DNA of organizations. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Stevie.
0: Thanks, Mike. So happy to be here. Lifelong dream to sit across <laughs> from you with microphones in our faces.
1: I wish we had uh, <laughs> I wish we had Mexican food and a margarita in front of us instead. Hey, but...
0: That would be great too. We'll take this though.
1: <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So let's let's talk about emotional intelligence. Because we've all probably heard of Daniel Goleman. And, uh, you know, we've heard discussions about this person's EQ. And I think for a lot of my listeners, we've kind of got the concept, but we're really not sure. It's kind of like blockchain or the keto diet. We know it's a thing and we're not really sure if it's really effective or if it's something that's important or you know, even maybe agree among ourselves what it really means. So when you're talking about emotional intelligence, what what are we talking about?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you are absolutely correct in that it is a topic often listed or mentioned, but that doesn't mean people can articulate what it truly means to them and the impact that it can have on their lives. So there's a lot of different definitions of emotional intelligence out there. The one that I prefer, the one that I use the most is it is the learned ability to manage emotions effectively and interpret messages correctly. The reason I like that definition is it highlights three major pieces that I think are important in emotional intelligence. Number one, it's a learned ability. You're not born with it. You don't just magically have it or don't have it. No matter what people tell me when I meet them, oh, I have zero emotional intelligence. You only have zero emotional intelligence if somebody doesn't slap you in the face when you talk, you know, like Mm. if you're if you're getting through conversations, well, you have some of it. It is a learned ability that we get through conversations but also managing emotions effectively. I think it's important that we understand that emotions happen and they come with us to the workplace. They are not in a home-only scenario. So we need to make sure that we manage them effectively. We can't turn them off, we can't ignore them, so we have to make sure we manage them. And then finally, the piece that always has stood out to me is emotional intelligence is all about communication. And so how do we use our emotional intelligence to really interpret the messages we're hearing from others in the best possible way? And so that's the definition I like to use and that's how I like to focus on it.
1: So it's both kind of the the ability to, like you said, control our own emotions, which probably takes a high level of self-awareness and we'll probably get into that, and the ability to, I, it, how much is it when you talk about communication, is it understanding the other person's emotions or communicating in a way, and maybe they're intertwined so that we hit certain cues or hot buttons in the other person to, to bring them to understanding or empathy with our position or whatever. I mean, right? it sounds, it, cause it sounds like it's, it could be, You know, the second part can sound like manipulation, and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. where, you know, dig deeper there for me to help me understand. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I think on that second part, I think emotional intelligence gives us two different strategies in communication. Number one is how do we make sure our emotions are not impacting the conversation we're having in a negative way? Right, So how do we make sure that the fact that we're upset about something that happened a half hour ago is not being taken out on the person that's in front of us in this moment? Um, So that's a part of it. The other part, though, is I feel being able to listen, not through your own emotional filter, but through the emotional filter of the other person. So being able to see their emotions, feel their emotions and understand that what they're saying to you come from their perspective, not yours. And how do you interpret that correctly and really listen in that right way? And I'm glad that you brought up um, manipulation. I think it is something that is often talked about in this kind of sphere of emotional intelligence. And the truth is that It's about influence. Our emotions influence us to make decisions. And yes, as a speaker, as a communicator, if you can use that influence to get somebody to your way of thinking, then that's exactly what you're doing. And if you are pushing on their emotions to do that, absolutely, it's like, um, oh, it's the holiday season. Right now while we're recording this and the ASPCA commercials are on, right? those are an emotional intelligence influence right they're using your emotions seeing the dogs and the cats and all these things to want to get you to do something they're using an emotional hook that takes emotional intelligence to do and if we are i always say if you are doing it for the best of all humans you're probably safe and it's probably not manipulation
1: okay so just because someone has a high level of emotional intelligence doesn't mean they're a good person necessarily. I mean, if somebody yeah. can have high emotional intelligence and be a complete narcissist.
0: Absolutely, and use it all for evil. Yes, absolutely.
1: So, you know, we, we talk about emotional intelligence, but we often hear the abbreviation EQ, which I associate with IQ, so emotional quotient are they the same thing and we just like are using eq as a gimmick because we all know what iq is and it just kind of ties in there
0: yeah absolutely so they are the same thing truly what eq is is a measurement it's a quotient like an iq so you can measure somebody's emotional intelligence that doesn't mean they're using emotional intelligence you're just measuring it so the eq is actually the measurement and then utilizing it is where we get the intelligence part. So they really are the same thing and you can use them interchangeably, and a lot of people do because, as you said, people are so tied to IQ that it makes it easier as a concept for them to understand that there's also EQ. Um, But technically, that is the measurement and emotional intelligence is the actual act or the strategy or the tools.
1: So, there is an objective measurement of eq and is it generally accepted i mean you know there's so much like let's talk about iq there's so much pushback now on whether iq really measures what it is purported to measure and if it's really reliable uh what about eq how do you measure it and how reliable are those measurements
0: absolutely so there are many, many tools in the world to measure EQ. Um, There's a test called the EQI, which is probably the most widely used, accepted, and um, I would say felt to be the best test for EQ. Um, I think the, the struggle that all emotional intelligence tests run into is it is truly a self-evaluation so i sit there i answer the questions about myself so it really measures self-awareness and that's great but again i believe that's only one piece of the puzzle true evaluation of emotional intelligence i believe has to be not only by the self but also by the people you interact with so when we study it in our clients we always do it as a 360 Um, evaluation. So you assess your own emotional intelligence, but then also every person on your team evaluates your emotional intelligence, because often self-awareness is just one piece.
1: So how often when you ask someone, do they have emotional intelligence? Do they say no? I mean, I I would expect that most people think they are. Oh, really? Oh, no, No,
0: I get it all the time. And I typically get it by the person who feels like they're, or they've been told they're too direct, they're too brash, they're overly assertive. And so they're like, yep, I've got none of that. I've got no emotional intelligence. Really not accurate. Everybody has some, right? Like I said, unless you're getting slapped, you're probably okay. Um, But truly we've taken emotional intelligence and, and attached it to empathy. And those are actually two separate concepts. They do work hand in hand, but they are two separate things. And so a lot of times I feel like people come to me and say, oh, I have none of that, EI, I have none of that. Really what they mean is they're lacking empathy, but they still have some emotional intelligence. They still know their emotions. They know when they're happy or sad. They have some self-awareness. They may just not have a level of empathy that other people can see. And that's really what they're talking about.
1: And so by empathy you're you're talking about the ability to understand kind of viscerally what another person is is feeling in a given moment. Is that yeah. what okay, how do you define empathy? I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, have a right? Sure. so I'll <laughs>
0: Um, I only have ChatGPT.
1: I don't have a doctorate. Right?
0: Hey, I'm sure ChatGPT would come up with something better than what I'm about to say. But that's (laughs) okay. Uh, They're better with the words. So empathy is really that ability to first see that somebody is experiencing an emotion. That's step number one of empathy. Level one empathy. I see you're going through something. I'm just cognitively aware that you are going through something. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to have walked a mile in your shoes. I just, I'm aware that you're going through something. That's it. That's level one empathy. Level two empathy is what most of us think about, which is that idea of listening to someone's story and connecting it to a life experience that you've had so that you can feel what they have felt. Trying to walk a mile in their shoes, if you will, um that is level two empathy that's called emotional empathy actually and that is really where people are connecting with each other um being vulnerable with each other sharing stories all of those kinds of things and that's kind of that that empathy that we typically talk about interestingly enough uh research tells us that level one empathy is really all that's required Um, We don't always need somebody to feel it with us. Sometimes we just need to know that somebody sees that we're feeling it. That's it. And so I've actually been doing a lot of work lately in the empathy space, helping people who have empathized too much to the point that they've lost authority, respect and boundaries. In their relationship because you can have too much empathy oh, yeah. um i've totally seen so, that
1: in the hr world and yes. people leadership roles where mm-hmm. they they get mired i guess in in other people's feelings and concerns and they can't make a business decision that you yes. know they can't do the hard thing yep. because they're so wrapped up in second guessing what the impact is going to be on this person emotionally and you know, writing and rewriting the speech or the, the, the conversation in their heads rather than just saying, okay, they're going to be pissed when they find this out. I need to understand that yep. and I need to be direct, pull the Band-Aid off. You know, if this is one of those yep. conversations, pull the Band-Aid off and, and we move forward from there. Uh, but they spend so much time over-empathizing. So that's interesting that that's a real thing. I, I, I just, you know, I've not heard it described that way.
0: Yeah, it's um a lot of empathy research is coming out after twenty twenty. Mm. Um a lot of a lot of studies happened around how in twenty twenty empathy levels rose because every human was having a shared experience. It was a global shared experience in some way, shape, or form that we really haven't experienced in a really long time um, as a society or as a world. And so empathy levels rose because people understood each other, emotionally, where they're at, what they're handling. Um, But flip side of that is it can rise too much. And so we're seeing a lot of empathy research come out now. And it's very interesting to me to see where emotional intelligence is headed, where empathy is headed, and how we're really trying to balance, and I do think it's a balancing act, the bring your whole human to work concept with, I still need to lead you and we still have boundaries, right? Right. And I think that's kind of where empathy can be um, misused is getting mired in other people's emotions or thinking about how do I connect with them and give them advice. Oh my gosh, you're going through divorce. I've been through a divorce here, let me help you. And there's just a lot of emotional sharing that's going on. That really doesn't help us get the job done. Right. So how do we balance doing enough that people feel heard and people feel valued and seen, but not so much that we lose the ability to make those business decisions, as you said.
1: And so somebody with, let's say a high level of emotional intelligence, when they're having that tough conversation, they're going in, regardless of their level of empathy they're going in and saying okay this is what i'm feeling about the situation and i'm going to put that in check uh and then as they're having the conversation i see how this person is responding and i need to course correct my conversation to try and get the response i need from them in this, in this circumstance, regard and without over-emoting and all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, did
1: I get that right?
0: Yes, you did. And I love that you used the word over-emoting because a lot of people don't ever talk about that, but that's a real thing. And uh, we all need to be aware of when we over-emote something. So I think that's great. No, you, you described that perfectly. Somebody with high emotional intelligence or high EQ is able to put their own feelings in check or aside, or know how they're managing, right? And then be listening for and tuned into the feelings of the other person in the conversation so that they can change their wording, their body language, their tone of voice, any of those tools they have, or even empathy, to get the goal that we're looking for out of the conversation. And, and that's that piece that I think a lot of times just in communication in general, we forget. Every conversation you have, there is a goal. You mm-hmm. don't go to talk to somebody without looking for something. Even if it's, I'm just looking to hear how your day was today. There's still a goal to that conversation. And somebody with high EQ is able to keep that goal in the front of their mind, not letting the emotions that come up take us away from but this is the goal for this conversation and no matter what emotions they throw at me I'm going to keep shifting and changing to adapt my communication to still achieve that goal
1: so I'm reminded back in the uh, late 80s early 90s when I was starting my career Stephen Covey was all the thing oh. and uh, and I'm probably going to butcher this but one of his uh, you know habits 7 habits was seek first to understand does how does that tie in with what we're talking about i mean it's because i think we probably back in the you know in the 90s when i was learning that stuff focused a lot on probably over emphasis on empathy um as i think back to it now and and in light of what you're saying maybe the understand part isn't quite as much as uh, understand on the big picture as understand what's going on in the moment is that is is that fair
0: absolutely i think it's very important that we keep our communication reliant in the moment not on You know, well, okay, but I'm already seeing five weeks from now we're going to have to talk about X, Y, Z and so I'm already skipping ahead. And we do that too often to people and that doesn't bode well for a good conversation. We need to be able to be present in this moment without the emotions of the past and without the anticipation of the future. And those are two things that I think if we have too much empathy, we can sometimes Mm -hmm. be worrying too much about the past and empathizing with what's happened and all of this so we're talking a lot about the past but are we really in the present and are we really focused on the future probably not i think also sometimes people get into conversations and if we go in i think the idea seek to understand is a great idea but seek to understand where they are today in this moment not seek to understand their life story Mm. And sometimes I think that gets a little lost in translation when we are talking about understanding somebody or, or hearing, listening to somebody. A lot of times we think we have to understand everything about it to understand the conversation in the moment. And the truth is in the moment, again, what's our goal? What are we trying to get to? How do we get us to whatever that decision is or whatever that response is in this moment? That doesn't mean there aren't other things we should talk about, but we probably don't want to have all those conversations at once. I think that's when you kind of feel like a squirrel and you start going all these different ways because somebody brought up a story and then boom, boom, boom. Now we're way over here talking, talking about a point that we made six months ago, but why are we talking about it now? Well, because emotionally I'm feeling that, so now I'm bringing it in and let's keep ourselves I call it present planting, plant yourself in the present and seek to understand where they are in the present, not where they've been, not where they're headed, where are they today? How do you communicate with them today?
1: So that's interesting because the last couple of years I've been reading and studying a lot about mindfulness and about mm-hmm. being present right now. And I've not even thought about it in the, in you know, by flipping the script and saying, you know, being mindful about where this other person is right now uh, as we have this conversation, that's, that that's, that's really interesting.
0: Well, I think a lot, um, a lot of that for me is kind of summed up in this one experience I had. Um, So we talk a lot in our courses about emotional capacity. What is your emotional capacity level today? How much, how much can you handle? How much can you take? Right. And any given day, All of us have different levels. There are days we can take it all on, we're feeling great. There are days where we probably shouldn't have that conversation, right? So everybody has different emotional capacity levels. But early on in my career, I had somebody who um, was one of my employees, I needed to give them feedback. There was something that had happened, it needed to not happen again, right? Wasn't major, wasn't life altering, it was just some feedback needed to be delivered. So I had planned, like any good leader, I meet with them once a week, I'll just deliver that at my weekly one-on-one meeting. Seems to make perfect sense. I show up to that one-on-one meeting to discover that my employee's grandmother had died that weekend. So in the moment, right? what is their emotional capacity to handle this feedback? And the answer was zero. They had no emotional capacity to handle that in that moment. So I had to make the leadership decision of, can the feedback wait? Does it have to be delivered today? Can it wait till tomorrow, right? Can it wait till next week? What are my options? Because at the end of the day, they don't have the emotional capacity to handle it. So that mindfulness you're talking about is being mindful of ourselves. And I think a lot of people focus on the self-awareness, which is wonderful, that is step number one. But step number two is how are you being mindful of the other person? How are you being aware of them, their situation, their emotional capacity, where they're at in this conversation? Because if all your focus is only on you, you're missing the other half of the conversation.
1: And that's interesting. So. Earlier, you, you talked about being brusque or direct, and those people telling you, Yeah, just kind of, I don't have any emotional intelligence, which sounds kind of like I'm really not that interested in changing. This is just, you know, uh, I remember <laughs> in uh, my freshman year of high school, I was failing algebra, uh, and uh, the counselor uh, pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, don't be a knucklehead. What's going on here? and i told her look i'm left-brained i just can't do math and, that, and and she did not let me and to this day i mean you know this is 40 plus years later she is still a close friend and uh but she didn't let me get away with that and so if you are but let me ask first what is a lack of emotional intelligence look like is is just because somebody is very direct does that mean they're lacking emotional intelligence um or you know so what is Is there a way to just look at somebody in in a certain interaction and just say that person has low emotional intelligence?
0: I think think you're so right in that no, just because somebody is direct or assertive doesn't mean they don't. Actually, most people who are direct and assertive in the right situations, in the right ways, have excellent emotional intelligence because you have to know when to be direct and you have to know Mm -hmm. when you shouldn't be direct. And that is emotional intelligence and knowing that. But i think what a lack of emotional intelligence looks like for me when i see it it's usually usually portrayed in the workforce as you'll see that person who says whatever is on their mind or speaks very much in the moment without any thought and you can see that they took no thought to anyone else in the Mm. room in that moment and how that was going to play out so for example I recently had a situation where I came into a meeting halfway through. I'm a part of the committee, right? Part of the committee, but I came into the meeting late. And so when I walked in the room, I knew something bad had happened, right? You could just, you could feel it. It was like all over my skin, right? Like I could feel the tension in the room. So I come in, I sit down. The leader Number 1 of that of that meeting. Number 1, the leader did not recognize me. Hey Stevie Don, let's catch you up. There was no no thought about me and my now presence in this meeting. But also the leader did nothing to tell me what had gone on or what had been covered. And maybe that's okay in the situation, but at the same time, I am now impacted by this tension and I don't know what's going on. Right? We get to the end of the meeting, all good. I walk out with the leader, the leader says nothing to me about what happened, right? Doesn't say anything, doesn't say, hey, by the way, in case you felt something or here's what you missed, none of that, just like, hey, great to see you, see you next week, bye. And then my phone blows up with text messages from all the other people in the meeting to tell me what happened when I wasn't there. That is a lack of emotional intelligence. A person who can sit in a room and what this person had done had angered 90% of the room. And instead of addressing it in that moment, clear the air and move on, he just went on with his way, right? And did his thing and didn't think that it needed to be dealt with or said or explained. And it wasn't until a month later, we all got an apology email from him. Well, if it's a month later, what I can tell you is he had no emotional intelligence. Somebody told him he needed to apologize. Wow. And so I think sometimes that's where you see it. When you're in a group of people, it's not always obvious one-on-one, but when you're in a group of people and you have that person who just doesn't seem like they're getting when people are upset or not feeling it they just keep plowing along without thinking about it. That person is lacking in emotional intelligence.
1: So if we get the feeling that someone is being, maybe you could interpret it as intentionally obtuse or, um, you know, direct for a really specific purpose, even if it, even if we don't like the way they're doing it, that doesn't mean they're being emotionally obtuse unintelligent that it may mean that they're just they're driving this home but if if there's an obvious elephant in the room yes then um and they don't address it uh that is a sign that maybe they're they're not as emotionally intelligent and so if i'm if i have my team coming to me one-on-one after meetings saying hey you know What do you think happened in there? Because, you know, that, you know, the way you left the room didn't, and, you know, but that goes back to having an organization with high trust and a lot of accountability Mm -hmm. that flows upward uh, to do that. I think I've got that, you know, I I, one of my... (laughs) One of my direct reports, I, I sent him a note in Zoom about something. And the response back immediately was, you're killing me, Smalls. And, uh, you know, and I said, well, thank you for the Sandlot reference. I understand you're right. And uh, let's talk about this in our one-to-one. You know, I don't need this right now. Um, and, but I think there's a thing with leaders that if you seem, if you, I respond to how people are feeling in the moment um, that it's either a weakness or it on your part, or it's you know too much vulnerability and we're going to get too squishy here, and we just you know it's going to get in the way of doing the job. So, um, but I guess, I guess, really, I'm answering my own question, but tell me if I'm right. The, the, your, i think your answer will be uh, you know i'll do you know Karnak here um the i think your answer will be that it's whether you recognize it or not is what drives the emotional intelligence piece of it uh you know whether it's the appropriate decision or not doesn't have any, anything to do with really the emotional intelligence but you're recognizing you know you're reading the tea leaves okay this is what's going on and i'm going to take this course of action and that course of action May or may not be successful, but at least going into it, you knew what, you know, you you knew what the dog poop you were stepping in was. It's just how am I going to get it off my heel?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it is about looking at the situation and going, do you recognize that something is happening? Do you recognize the shift in the wind, right? Do you notice the changing tides? Are you noticing it? That's step number one. And if you're noticing it, you have emotional intelligence. Now, your ability to use it, change, adapt, those are additional skill sets, right? That we have to learn and grow from. But sometimes, is the right course of action to not address it in the room, in the moment. Absolutely. Sometimes it needs to be addressed differently or at a different time. And because we don't want to get stuck in the weeds, right, of discussing something that doesn't really need to be here in this conversation. The trick is, did you recognize that it still happened? As long as you recognized it, then you're using emotional intelligence. But it's the people who don't.
1: Yeah, I'm reminded of a committee meeting that I was leading several years ago for an organization And there was an issue with one person and it really was causing issues in the room. And I had to make the choice right then. Do we address this in front of a bunch of people, especially when I'm 90% certain that if I address it right now, that response will derail the rest of the meeting. And so I can blow the rest of the, you know, the next hour or I can leave everybody with a level of discomfort from this person, we get to the meeting and then I can address this one-on-one with that person. And I made that latter choice rather than blowing up the meeting. Um, but that's, wow. I just said I'm emotionally intelligent at some level. Okay, so, and, and I was- Look at you, if good I job, was, yeah, you are. <laughs> and let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. Premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 131 and enter the keyword emotional. That's E-M-O-T-I-O-N-A-L. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Dr. Stevie Don Carter. The first thing you said about emotional intelligence was that it's learned um, and that it's not just you know a natural charisma that some people have or don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that because... Like, I, my number two son, since he was in kindergarten, he could walk into a room, read a room, figure out the power dynamics in two minutes, and could adjust his behavior to get whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is my performer son, who's a professional ballet dancer, my engineering son, who doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can say this would would you know, would just walk, you know, walk in the room and and you know pick his rear. I mean, nobody you know, he would ha- be clueless about what was going on around him or anything like that. So um, you know, uh, now certainly he's got the higher income than my ballet kid, but the <laughs> you know, but he's he, he's he, he's different. So when you say it's learned, I see you know, there's got to be some level of it that people just, have because we're wired a certain way, but, but tell talk about how we learn beyond whatever our natural ability is.
0: Yeah. So I think for a lot of us, the learning comes in, are we able to assess outcomes and make changes of our own behavior? Right? So your, your son, number two, walks into a room, no reads the room, does something and gets what he wants. He has Mm -hmm. now learned that, oh, if I look at the room and then I do my thing, they're gonna go my way. Cool, let me figure out how to do that more, right? And even as children, we can learn that. We learn how to get what we want. So it is a learned ability in the sense of every time you interact with somebody, if you're able to see this interaction went well, what did I do? This interaction went poorly. What did I do and make those changes? That's where you're learning the emotional intelligence. Now, I think as we get into school is when we really start to see it become more learned. Right. Are you able if you were that person at school who could fit in with all the different groups, the teachers liked you, the students liked you. But you could be with the book club or you could be with the popular kids. You had emotional intelligence. Why? Because most people with emotional intelligence are chameleons they can go from one group to another and shift their own space because they spend a lot of time listening to the other group and validating the other the other people around them and that's going to make a group like you and so then you're going to get to hang out with them at lunch and as kids we do that and therefore we learn those skill sets so when we get into a professional environment or as adults we realize oh if i listen to them if i validate them if i pay attention to their perspective i i'm likable i'm approachable i am somebody they want to have in the room that's great for me how do i keep using that that's emotional intelligence just being aware so i do think there's some of it that is probably nurture are you a self-aware type of person i think a lot of it is nature and how you grew up where your parents um or the people that raised you people who asked you to evaluate your own behavior because that's the awareness part right Mm -hmm. what do you think you did wrong right i'm not going to tell you what you did wrong what do you Uh. think you did wrong um it's those kinds of things i think develop over time and then i think as adults what we see in the workplace is people who haven't had a lot of that who haven't had a lot of interactions where they got to kind of see how they needed to shift or change, or maybe they're just feeling a little bit more, this is how I do it and I always do it this way. And those are the people that then as adults are like coming into our program or seeking out training and books as as an adult is those people who probably felt like it's not working for me, but it's working for those other people. So what am I doing wrong?
1: And so even at adulthood we're not too hardwired in our behavior to to become more effective in how we model our behavior uh in response to other people's emotional state
0: no i never think a a dog is too old to learn a good trick especially right and this is the thing we try and teach in our program for emotional intelligence is emotional intelligence only helps I mean, it helps the other person, you'll be more liked, you'll be more successful. In the end, it also just helps you. So I think sometimes for those people that are, maybe they've gotten into adulthood and they're like, "Uh, I haven't really learned this, or I don't feel like I have any. When we go in, I always say, Hey, I'm not teaching you this for their benefit. I'm teaching it for your benefit, right? Because if you start using these things, life's going to get easier for you because you're going to become more likable, more approachable, more able to communicate. All of that's going to unfold, and you're going to be more successful. Yes, in the process, are you probably nicer and more empathetic? Yeah, but realistically, I'm making you better at you. And that's really a goal that I think a lot of adults can get behind.
1: And again, it feels kind of Machiavellian, right? <laughs> uh, you know, just kind of manipulative. Mm-hmm. But and I guess the real trick is: Am I using this for the good of the other person, of the organization, of the higher purpose we serve, yeah. or am I doing this strictly in my own self-interest? And this is really I'm pulling the rug out from under this person by by reading them this way and manipulating right. them.
0: Yes, I think the the true <laughs> the true difference maybe between a, a human with high emotional intelligence and maybe a a psychopath, I don't know, or Mm -hmm. a sociopath, I forget which one it would be, um, is that at the end of the day, any influence you're trying to use, any buttons you're trying to push, you're doing it for the good of something, right? Whether it's Mm -hmm. for the good of the organization, for the good of that human Um, And it should, of course, be done with morals and values and all of that right in there. Um, Do people have really high emotional intelligence and therefore become really good scam artists? Yes, they do, Mm -hmm. because they know how to push those buttons, right? So it is a skill set that can be positive, can be negative. But I think whether it's manipulation or influence to me always comes down to, are you only seeking your own self-interest or are you making good decisions for the business, for the other humans, for the team? And that's a little bit different.
1: So when you're working with an organization and there's you know they've got they've got concerns in the organization about the emotional intelligence of uh, leadership and the rank and file, let's say. We've got this conflict. We've got people crying in HR. We've got, you know, uh, storming out and, you know, driving their car away, burning rubber and all those things. Do you have to work on emotional intelligence on a person by person basis? Or are there things you can do culturally to improve the emotional intelligence in the air?
0: Absolutely. That's a great question there are strategies for shifting the culture to be more emotionally intelligent and empathetic, which then helps everybody, right? So we can send everybody to a training program or we can do all these things. But the reality is, is if the culture focuses on expectation setting, that's first and foremost, expectation setting and communication accountability. Those are the two things that if a culture can build those into their culture, into every level of that organization, you will see more emotional intelligence come up. Because expectation setting says, I know what to expect in this meeting. I know what to expect from this human. So I am no longer going to be emotionally hurt when they don't do something, because no, we have an expectation. So much of our emotional um, drain or baggage or issues, tends to come from, I didn't actually set the expectation. I made an assumption that they would know what my expectation was and then they didn't do it. And now I'm mad at them for it. Mm -hmm. And now let's let that spiral. Right. Right. So if we just set clear expectations in everything, that takes away a lot of that emotional burden on people. So that's step number one. And, And culturally, that's easy to do. It's just an extra step to every meeting, every team, every agenda that you have to do. And it's just about making sure you do it, making sure you set those expectations every single time. So everybody knows where they're at, what they're supposed to do. And that way, if somebody does not meet expectations, it's not an emotional response. It's a, hey, why didn't, Why didn't you do that? We talked about it. We discussed it. We were on the same page, right? And then on the other side of that then is how do we truly have communication accountability? And what that means is this this idea of I have a purpose for this meeting. I'm going to communicate my purpose for this meeting. We're going to have the meeting. We're going to have the conversation. And then if I say I'm going to do something out of it, somebody's going to hold me accountable to do that. So, that then you feel like you're not only vocalizing what you want, but somebody's going to hold you accountable for what you vocalized. A lot of times in the workplace, we only hold people accountable for things that are written down. And while that makes sense, because otherwise, how do you know? But 90% of our business happens in conversations that are not written down. Mm-hmm. So, how are we holding ourselves accountable for our communication? for what we've said in meetings, for what we've said to other people. Now that may be that you need to send an email follow-up that says, you said you were going to do these things. Sure, then it's in writing, I get it. But overall as a culture, if we started truly listening and saying, this is what I heard you say, and I'm gonna hold you accountable to that, that would shift people into a higher level of emotional intelligence because they're gonna have to take their emotions out of it to truly listen and be able to then be held accountable to that standard.
1: Interesting. So this may be a french goodbye, but one last one last topic I'd like to kind of dig into then because as I'm thinking through this I'm I'm reminded of a lot of conversations I've had over the last several years where this idea that people should have control over their emotions in the workplace is kind of coming out of fashion. Um, and you hear diversity claims about it that, well, you know, it's, it's sexist to expect people not to cry at work and in meetings or, or, you know, concerns about neurodiversity or even racial issues, things like that. Well, you know, um, you know, these, you know, certain groups are going to be more, you know, that will def- you know, or somebody in a group will defend themselves against yes. a, a complaint about their behavior by saying, "This is this is racist or anti-cultural," because people in my group display emote our, our are mm-hmm. emote this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that with the uh, the idea of the uh, of emotional intelligence?
0: Yeah. So I think that we. There is a standard of emotion that I think. And
1: that click you heard a minute ago was me standing on stepping on the landmine. Oh yeah, you did. (laughs) You You totally uh, did. (laughs) Um,
0: But I I think what we're what we have to say is that the workplace is a professional space, so we need to be able to emote. And when we're upset, we're allowed to be upset. Does that mean you should yell at somebody? No. This is a professional workspace. Right. I don't think you should yell at your family either, but that's that's a story for a different day. Right. Um, I think we've stopped actually putting in that professional standard code of conduct for a lot of people that we used to have 20 years ago. Now, it may not have ever been written down, but you and I both knew that we didn't. If you were going to cry, you went to the bathroom to cry. You did not cry Mm. in front of people. Right. And that was just a standard. Now, do I think tears are a bad thing in the workplace? No, I don't. I don't have a problem if one of my employees breaks down and cries because I say, you know what, they're feeling that right now and I need to let them feel it, get it out so then we can get back to work. But I think sometimes we're. So focused on letting every emotion come out everywhere, that we've stopped remembering this is supposed to be a professional environment and i think sometimes our kind of ability to say oh but we're a family here and this is our home and this is my work wife and all of those things which you and i both know have so many hr problems written right. all right please over never
1: them. say that please <laughs> never say that at work yeah
0: please never say somebody's your work wife Please. Right. But because that's become normal, kind of and normalized within our society, I think it's allowing people to forget we're supposed to be professional. And there is a level there that we need to reach. I think it's OK for people to have emotions. But I think when your emotions are no longer allowing you to do the work, that is where we need to start holding people accountable. and 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 maybe it's as simple as saying maybe you need to take the rest of the day off. Relax. Self-care, right? Do your thing. Take a mental health day. Come back tomorrow and we'll try again. Um, I think we got to get better at allowing that to happen because we have to keep our workplaces professional. Things have to happen. But I don't think professional means you can't cry and you can't get upset. I do think it means once your emotions have overtaken your ability to do the work, then you're no longer helping yourself or anybody else here by having them. So at that point, how do we help that human, right? Is it giving them the afternoon off? Is it just giving them space? Hey, maybe today isn't the best day for this meeting. Why don't you take this afternoon and work on other projects, right? But I think we've got to get better at saying there's still a standard here that we're supposed to get. And I think emotional intelligence says you should be intelligent about your emotions and to me that means understanding when you've passed the point of professional
1: interesting and so yeah we've got to get the job done and it's the mm-hmm. bottom line and yep. so but if somebody is not in a place to do that let's spare everybody the agony yes. of trying to fix them right now mm-hmm. and uh, let's you know let them remove themselves from the the space, for you know, and and mm-hmm. recalibrate, and then we can revisit it. Uh, you know, if we if there are underlying issues we need to talk about, we can talk about those. Or if it's just they just needed a needed a moment, you know. Yeah. That that's cool too. Interesting. Absolutely,
0: okay. and Great. I think you know, I I think being able to say right, you're not, I'm not saying that you can't be emotional. You can be emotional. What I'm saying is if the work isn't getting done, then we need to let the emotion play out until the work gets done. I think what happens, and you kind of talked about it right there, is sometimes when somebody's getting emotional, now we're trying to fix it. Most people, if they're emoting, if the emotions are coming out, it is not the time to fix it, it is the time to feel it. Those are two different things. And I think sometimes we get into these HR conundrums because somebody was feeling something and their leader was like, okay, well, let's just fix that. But now we spent time fixing when they were not ready to fix yet. They were in the feel mode. Thing you gotta understand about emotions is you feel it, then you fix it. You cannot fix it while you're feeling it. Does not happen. So at work, how do we train people to be okay with letting somebody have that space, to recalibrate, to take a moment, letting them have that and not feeling like I have to fix it right now you have to stop it right this second no let's let them move and do what they need to do to feel it and when they're ready to come back we're back and then we move forward as a group and as a team and as an organization
1: perfect that's a great way to wrap it up and thank you for all your time and for joining us today Dr. Stevie Don Carter
0: thank you so much for having me
1: We will have all of your contact information on our website uh, in the show notes. So if any of our listeners want to reach out and get more information about your organization, Empathics, uh, or uh, emotional intelligence in general, uh, we'll, uh, we'll direct them to your website and your LinkedIn and all of that.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
1: And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.